marijuana is legal in like 18 or 19 states in some form or another. It's insane. Yeah, well, all right, don't woo if you're white. It's always been legal for us. Come on, sir. We don't go to jail for marijuana, you silly billy. When I was arrested with a one-hitter at a Rusted Root concert, I did not serve hard time. I think I got an award. 18 or 19 states, and by the way, I agree, it's a very good thing, but it's also a really weird thing because this is the first time I've ever seen a law change because the government is just like, fine, you know? <laughs> I've never seen it before. Like gay marriage and healthcare, we have to battle it out in the Supreme Court and be like, gay people are humans. And they're like, we'll think about it. But with weed, it was just something we wanted really badly. And we kept asking them for 40 years, like, excuse me. And then suddenly the government became like cool parents. And they're just like, okay, here, take a little. We'd rather you do it in the house than go somewhere else, blah, 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 blah. If you recognize that as John Mulaney, I'm sure you'd have no problem getting along with today's guest. If you recognize the political humor in that joke, you'd also be friends with today's guest, I'm sure. So who is the guest? Well, in a few moments, you're going to meet my friend Douglas Robbins. I could say so much about Dougie. We always joke that we're the same person because we're both very opinionated and we both love to speak our minds. We both do mock trial and matriculate and basically we are the same person. But in all seriousness, it's such a compliment to me. He is so real, so driven, and I'm seriously lucky to know him. He's one of the funniest people I've met at Princeton so far. I know that I'll always just end up laughing about something related to pop culture or politics when I'm with him. So today, in addition to the regular P's, which are perspective, problem, pitch, passion, Princeton, pursuit, puzzle, and Perrier, this pod will include philanthropy, paparazzi, Princetonian, podcast, pop culture, pliables, piece of art, promote, panel, and palatable. I know you're going to enjoy this one, so keep listening to be both informed and entertained. Welcome back to Peas in a Pod. Welcome back. I'm here with Douglas Robbins. What's up? Who's our guest for today? Should we just jump right into it actually let's do, it. Oh. let's do how do we know each other so did we meet at mock trial first or playwrights guild i was never in no 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 you were never in playwrights guild we met at mock trial initiation mock trial yes and then also matriculate yes we do the same activities we we are the same person right. except i am not susan i am not a girl right and she is not a boy mm-hmm. and that's the difference yep Glad we're on the same page. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump into the fees. Okay. Perspective. Where okay. are you from? So I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, I grew up there my whole life. Uh, it's like um, people always think of Louisiana as being kind of like the bayou and New Orleans. And that's all they know about it. But where I came from, it was like, I want to say like 250,000 people like in the metropolitan area. Like, so we have like. Target and like Starbucks, 
um, in like civilization, right? Um, I like to always uh, say that Baton Rouge is somewhere that's big enough where like you can go places and you'll always see strangers, but it's small enough where like if you see somebody, you know, like you're never surprised and like it happens literally all the time. And I think it's a Baton Rouge is a really great place to say you're from. I, that's what I would say about Baton Rouge. I think that's, yeah, it's a really great place to say you're from. So you're proud of Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of Baton Rouge. I'm proud of Louisiana. Um, we have a lot of, like, natural disasters and stuff. We're resilient, um, my state, um, and I, I'm really proud of that and just the culture and the community. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know if that's somewhere I want to go back after I leave here at Princeton. But, like I said, it's a great place to say you're from. I... Uh, I loved growing up there, and I honestly couldn't imagine growing up anywhere else. Um, yeah, and so I went to school there, and uh, yeah. What was school like? So I started off at, it was kind of different, so I started off at a foreign language immersion school. My parents put me in um, in that school when I was like 18 months old, so like even before I was two. Wow. Yeah, yeah, so I, uh, yeah, so I took all my classes in French and Spanish, so like math, science, art, and English also too. Um, from the time I was in, from the time I was 18 months old till I was 12. So before you were literate. Yeah. So I literally learned Spanish and French at the same time that I learned English. Awesome. I guess, I guess I would say, yeah. How much Which have you cool. retained? It, I mean, I, I think I've retained all of it, honestly, but I just don't really use it all that much. And I think like when I go through periods of not using, it, I get a little rusty, but like if like I have like, like if I watch like something in Spanish or like I like. You know, if I'm like using it, like at least for a little bit, like it, it might be a little rusty at first, but then like it all just comes back, like it all floods back. And uh, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, I sometimes dream in Spanish and French, uh, which is which was which was something that happened a lot growing Not up. Not to flex. Not to flex, but to flex, <laughs> which was cool. But then I left there. It was really small. So there were like 15 kids in my grade and they were the same 15 kids from when I was like an infant. So the school, the school, I started off going to the school. It was in like the principal's house and like it was in her sunroom, like when I was 18 months old. And like I literally was with the school as it grew. They grew from like the, her sunroom to like this other like location. And then eventually they got they bought this huge campus and like had been developing it. But like it just it just was still too small for me. And like it was the same kids. And like I just and I also wanted to go to I just wanted to go to a more like traditional school. Uh, so I went to this independent school, traditional like college prep school, which was really interesting. There were a hundred kids in my grade, which to most would say it's small, but you know, coming from me, like who was fifteen to one hundred. Yeah, it was big. It was a big adjustment. Um, and, you know, it was very like a uh, ritzy sort of like private school, which is not something that I like really fit into. But something else about Baton Rouge, or I guess Louisiana, I should say, is our schools are really bad. So most people send their kids to private school, not because it's some sort of luxury, but like out of necessity. Got it. So like it was like that for my family. Like it wasn't that like it wasn't like we were like like Jeff Bezos, like, you know, like sending my sending sending me to um, Episcopal. That's what my school was called. But it was out of necessity that, you know, if I wanted a shot that I had to go to private school. So most most everybody like went to private school and and like it was very common for like parents to spend their last dimes to send their kids to private school because the public school system is just so bad where I came from. Anything else about your perspective? Yeah. So my dad got really sick when like right as I was transitioning from uh, my two schools between uh, the foreign language immersion school and uh, the private school. 
yeah, so I really had to grow up like really fast, like super suddenly right away. Uh, I had to help out my mom with my sister. I have a sister that's three years younger than me. Um, and I had to do that, um, you know, cook and, you know, do, do, do a lot of things that like a lot of 11 year olds don't do. But I also had to do that. It was really weird. Like I was an adult, like for part of the time, but I also like still was like a preteen and like growing up and like doing dumb stuff and like, like thinking I knew everything and like, you know, still trying to figure it out, which I mean, I guess I still am trying to do, but it was just really weird combo of like having to do that. And so that kind of taught me like resilience, like having to like do school, like, like a regular, like middle school or in high school or like do like social stuff, like sports and like just social stuff, like with friends and stuff, but like also like have that component of like kind of being an adult at home and like looking out for myself, taking care of myself. So yeah, but I think that that really has helped me a lot coming here to Princeton and, you know, uh, making sure all my stuff's in order and uh you know I still had to do well you know and I still did well even though like I had all that and I mean that's not like obviously like that's not like unique to me but I think that those experiences really give me perspective and they really like when thing like when things are hard here and like sure like things are things are hard here I can handle them that doesn't mean I don't complain about them I complain a lot <laughs> I complain a lot but yeah, I mean it's it's doable. Resilience. Resilience. That's one of my that's one of my uh things I'm proudest of. I think I'm resilient. Yeah. I think you are too. Let's move on to the second P problem. Yeah. What is something you believe should change? So actually I uh something that I just had an idea about like the other day is about writing sim. Um here at Princeton, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about. I did writing sim last semester. I um, I have a lot of friends who are doing writing sim this semester. To people who don't go to Princeton, writing sim is a mandatory class that all freshmen take. It's to teach how to write technical academic papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How to like insert yourself into a scholarly conversation. I'm using air quotes. You can't see, but yeah. It's notoriously kind of one of the like the biggest like grade killers here at Princeton. Are you in it this semester or last semester? Last. Last semester. Oh, that's right. We had the same writing sim. I forgot, but, oh, but different yeah. sections, mm -hmm. different sections. But see, yeah, we are like we're literally the same person. She was like in the same writing. We were sim in the as same me. exact topic. Yeah. Yep. But I think that I don't like the way it's graded. I don't like that how how hard it is, and I I think it's ridiculous that writing sim is a GPA kind of like killer, and like lucky for me, like I I mean it wasn't a GPA killer for me. I ended up doing fine in it. I mean I did well in it, but. I, I just don't think that I don't think it should. I just think it's ridiculous at how how hard it is, and how much they ask of you. So uh, I think that's a problem that here at Princeton. And I think I have a pitch on how to fix it. Okay, before you get to the pitch, I do want to say before anyone can say, "Oh, but it's not all about the GPA." As much as you can say grades don't matter, it's so ingrained into the student atmosphere. That I feel like once you take a class right, like writing sem, that's all people are talking about. Oh my god, it's a GPA killer. Because it's a thing, I believe that it takes away from the class. Like it's supposed to be an introductory writing seminar and you're supposed to learn how to write. But then people are just going to be thinking about how it's going to kill their grades. And they instead. don't try. And they don't right. try. Because mm -hmm. they're like, why well, try? I have other classes to do. I'm not going to get a grade in this anyway. I should, I mean, I'll phone it in. And that's what people do. And I think it furthers the kind of narrative that like it's a GPA killer. And I think it's detrimental to both students and like the writing program in general. But I have a pitch. Okay, like what's said, your pitch? I think that we should make writing sim a PDF only class. Okay. And hear me out. 
I think that so the whole purpose of writing sim is to make sure that every single freshman here at Princeton is prepared to conduct like academic research, but like on the same level, because obviously everybody comes from different backgrounds, right? Those skills shouldn't those skills we should be trying to get everybody to the same place. And I think that um, and some people are obviously like more ahead than others. And if the whole point of the class is just to make sure that students are prepared to handle the rigors of other classes they're going to take, then why does the grade matter? And I think that if we made the writing sim program PDF only. By the way, PDF is pass D fail. Right. Or I don't know if other schools have that, but it makes it so that it's not a letter grade. It won't affect your GPA. And I think that that's I don't think that the whole the goal of writing sim is to prepare students for other parts of their Princeton experience there. And if that's if that's the goal to prepare them, then the letter grade literally should not matter. And as long as people and make it harder to pass, like, I don't think that you should be able to, like, write a sentence and like pass. But I also don't think that, like, people should be, like, killing themselves and ending the day with a B. I think that's ridiculous. I OK, I'm just going to play devil's advocate. Play devil's advocate. This is a what new is, idea. OK, I, like I just had it on the walk over here. OK, good. So I had so workshop it with me. OK. What if I told you that PDF classes would be a further deterrent from effort, right? So if a class is PDF, which normally at Princeton, you make a class PDF if you're like, I'm not going to do well in this class anyway. So um, if I make it PDF, I won't have to try as hard and I'll still pass. It won't affect my GPA. Won't it make students try even less? I don't necessarily agree because there are a lot of classes here that are PDF only. Okay. specifically writing classes that are PDF only. And obviously, like, students opt, it's a self-selecting group and students opt in to take those classes. But I also think it goes back down to what the goal of writing sim is. The goal of writing sim is to make sure that every single Princeton student can get to the place where they can conduct scholarly research. It doesn't matter, like, necessarily, like, how, like, well they can, I did air quotes again, it just matters that they're able to do it. That's all that really matters. And if you can show that you are able to insert yourself into a scholarly conversation, it shouldn't matter how much effort you put in. It should just matter that you're able to do it. And if that's the goal of writing sim, then PDFing it will 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 bridge that gap. And I think that students instead of I think students might lean into it a little bit more. I think something that we can't ignore from this debate is also that does writing sim even accomplish that? Because for me personally, I, I did fine with writing some because I like to write. I know, oddball. <laughs> but I don't think I learned. I, I, it was mostly independent. Yes, I gained a lot of tools for research. And I do believe I am a better writer, research writer because of writing some. Do I think it was necessarily because of the course? Also, I've heard from students, upperclassmen, saying that the type of writing you learn in writing sim, you don't actually use until your junior paper. Like, yes, it's supposed to help you for other rigorous courses, but the type of writing most students don't use until their junior paper. When I write in my other classes, it's a completely different style of writing. I agree. That's I, I've I've not had to write like a like a use motive, <laughs> which is like Princeton. It's Princeton words. <laughs> not even gonna try to explain it, but I have not had to do that since writing sim but i but i do think i i, I really do think there's value in it i, I mean i think that i agree i agree it's a good class i think it's i think it's a good class uh shout out to sean gonzalez out there um if you're listening i don't know i mean i do think that there's value in writing sim 
in in terms of like the skills that you learn and sure like you may not use them until your junior like paper but i still think that it's still something that's important i think it's an important skill like we go to a school that values research and i think that it's still even if you don't use it until your junior year like i think it's good to get out of the way as a freshman because i mean nobody's gonna want to when they're in the middle of like taking like distribution requirements or in the middle of taking like classes for their like concentration, like that's not, that's, I don't know. I mean, unless we figure out a way to like integrate those skills into other classes, but then how would you standardize it? Like people are all in different departments. How do you like standardize across departments that you teach certain skills? I don't know. That's why I think that the PDF option for writing sim is the way to go. And obviously like it's a very, it's a baby idea. It's, have you ever heard of an ugly baby before? No. Okay. So an ugly baby is basically like, you know how like babies, when babies are born, they go through like ugly phases. Yeah. I was an ugly baby. Okay. Yeah. So babies go through ugly phases, but then they grow up and they're not ugly anymore. Right. Okay. Sure. <laughs> it's like that with, I, with, with ideas. That's kind of the approach I take with ideas is they're, they're ugly babies. So this is an ugly baby idea. It's new and like it's a rough idea, but it'll eventually grow up and be a really smoking hot idea. I I think a PDF writing sem has value. I I don't think the university will agree. I think there's a very low chance of writing sem ever becoming a PDF because I remember first class of writing sem, the thing that they actually emphasize is, hey, if you get a bad grade in here, that's going to be your norm. Like, I think they actually want students not to do well because they want students to become comfortable with bad grades because everyone did well in high school, right? Okay, that's true. That makes, okay, that makes sense. But I still think that's a dumb argument because- No, just I agree. Gonna, they're just, that's like ridiculous. I mean, I don't think like- I mean, it's it's literally oppressive. Student, Yeah, it's literally oppressive. And I think that students will learn, students can learn in whatever way possible. They're in their, you know, when they're going along their own path, they'll learn that they're not going to do as well as they did in high school. You know, there doesn't have to be one like standardized experience to like show people that they're not like hot stuff anymore. You know, like it's it'll happen. We're at Princeton. It'll happen. I don't know. I just feel like I did learn a lot in writing sim, but I would have appreciated just the PDF option. And sure, maybe like I don't know, like sure, maybe people wouldn't like try as hard. But like that's not what writing sim is about. Writing sim is about the only it's a, it's a checkbox. Do you know how to enter yourself into a scholarly conversation? Check. You're done. That's it. That's that's all writing sim should be, in my opinion. And that's my pitch. I like that one. I hope Princeton contemplates that. Yeah, I don't know. And I guess I'll have to, I don't know. I mean, there's USG Academic Task Force. I um, I mean, maybe I'll, my friend runs it. Maybe I'll talk to him about it. I don't know. Okay, fourth P, passion. Would you be mad at me if I told you I hate this question? No. I literally hate this question. I hate the question, what are you passionate about? I don't know what I'm passionate right. about. I'm still trying things out. I'm here at school. That's literally the whole point of me coming to a liberal arts school is figuring out like what I'm into. I'm not even going to use the P word passion. Like I'm not even going to say that <laughs> because like I I mean, I'm always going to be trying things out and like I don't really know like what that's ultimately going to manifest in, but I know it's going to embody things that like I value and that's grit, ingenuity, creativity, curiosity and ambition and then obviously like the cliche like you know like make a change like you know like i'm not even gonna sit here and like preach to you about that because that's just so overdone but like i genuinely believe that but i'm not even gonna preach about it i reject the question of what is your passion and i want to replace it with the question what is your why and what i mean by that is why are you here 
why why are you here on this planet what are you what is your purpose purpose not passion maybe okay what if i told you though that i feel like more people don't know what their purpose is but i don't know what my purpose is either okay. but i think that, but i think that that is something that is easier to I think that that's more of a static thing than what is your passion because I think that passion can respond to your purpose. Like for example, right. like they're very interconnected. But I think like like the example I would use and it's super basic is like my purpose is like helping others and that's super cliche and like maybe my passion is like doing like immigration work or maybe my passion is working with uh you know in a soup kitchen you know but those are all like all of those both of those things go back to like the purpose of like helping others and like obviously i think that like why is that not a passion well i mean i think it is a passion but i think that people use passion like it's an end-all be-all kind of a that's like their like thing that's your stick yeah yeah but mm -hmm. like i think it's it fluid, and i think that it changes and i think that that's cool that it changes and i think that asking people like what are you passionate about like it's uh, they do it on job interviews they did it in college <laughs> interviews like they do it on this podcast yeah they do it on this podcast like that's like that doesn't like that that doesn't that you're just gonna get some sort of like superficial answer and like maybe not but like i can make up something right now and i can convince you that it's my passion but that'd be like that would be a stretch Okay, I because I am the host of this podcast and I created this podcast, I feel okay. like I need to do a little bit of defense work here. Do some defense work. Okay, so first of all, I think this is your, this is your answer to my question. Your answer is you don't like the question, which is fine. I love that. I honestly appreciate the feedback because I understand that a question like, what is one thing you're passionate about? It's, it seems limiting and it it seems like it puts people in boxes and it is like asking what's your shtick and what if you it's don't, restrictive right it, it's it's like asking what do you what do you think is your shtick what if they don't have a shtick right or they're making it up and it's superficial i get that however i feel like that stems from you choosing to put passion into the restrictive box when you said like purpose is helping others why can't a passion be helping others Passion is for the person to define on their own. I feel like there is an inherent misinterpretation of all these categories of this podcast. I mean, you can really talk about how each category is restrictive because it's really asking about one aspect of the person. But at the end of the day, it's also your category to define. And I'm not going to be the judge of anyone's perspective on each category. A lot of people around me do have a passion. And for them, the word passion really resonates. For them, it might resonate more than the word purpose. For you, it doesn't. That's something that is different for each individual. I don't think okay. there's. I don't think there's. A I buy universal. that. That's okay. fair. I buy that. Okay. I buy. I, I. I buy that. I will subscribe. But for me, I think that that is a bad question for me. Maybe. Okay. And I'll. Re that's. I don't. Because I don't know. I'm. I know things that I'm into, and I like those. Like those values right. that that I hope to embody. That's, that's something I think a lot about. I just like. I just. It's just. You know, like when we're applying for internships and like even applying to school, like I like, you, you know, like I always am waiting to get this question and like, gosh, like I just like uh, it just gets so it's like a boring question to me. Mm -hmm. But like but again, like that's just me. I just I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's more to unpack, which is not a P word, but like low key. It's low key a P word. Yeah. Let's talk about Princeton. OK. Do you like it so far? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Coming here is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I love coming to school here. I adore this campus, these people, these traditions, our legacy, our impact. Well, most parts of our legacy. Well, parts of our legacy. <laughs> I'm so lucky to come to school here and learn from 
amazing people. And I don't mean professors. I mean, I mean, I do mean professors, but I also mean like my peers, uh, my roommates, my RCA, my teammates. I love it. So you're on the mock trial team. I am. I'm on 936, the superior mock trial team. Okay, hold up. <laughs> 937, all the uh, way. All right. How do you how do you like mock trial? I love it. I did mock trial in high school. Um, when I did Princeton Preview, I went to the Little Activities Fair and mock trial was there. I met Joe Ort when I was there. He probably has no clue that I met Joe Ort when I was there because <laughs> he did. I was plot irrelevant to him at that point. Um, Joe Ort is a god. I love Joe Ort. Shout out to Joe Ort. No, but mock trial has really become my family here on this campus. I love every single person on the team. They're like my go-tos, older people, um, you know, to get advice, perspective about Princeton. I just did another P word. It uh, gets to you, doesn't it, it? It does. It does. It's a great community. God, that sounds so cliche. I sound so <laughs> cliche right now. Gosh. But but it's true. It's such a great, it's such a great community and I love it. I think Something important you emphasize is the people, mm-hmm. which I think is something that is underemphasized by students who talk about Princeton or the overall perception that people have of any college or any university, any university experience is the people. And you know what? I, I have I have I have a shtick that I say about the people here at Princeton when I describe it. When I go home, I, when I went, I went home so much last semester. Every single break I went home. Um, the people here at Princeton are interesting people that just so happen to be smart. I don't think they're smart people first. I think they are interesting, cool people that happen to be smart. Smart people are a dime a dozen. But I think that what sets people apart here at Princeton and what makes our community so dynamic, God, it's so cliche, but what makes our community so dynamic is that the people here are interesting people that happen to be smart. Smart comes second. Everyone's smart. That's why it should never be a competition of intelligence, right? Right. And it shouldn't even be a competition of how interesting are you even. But I feel like having that mindset definitely opens your mind to meeting new people. I think relationships are so integral to a college experience, more so than the grades. Oh, big time. Big time, big time, big time. And I mean, like, I'm also of the mentality, like, I mean, I guess I'm here now and I'm, I can say, like, yes, like, Princeton is the right place for me. Like, Princeton is, like, the school. Um, but I also know that, like, if I'm being honest, like, I probably could have been happy at any school that I applied to. Right. But I, I'm, I'm so glad it ended up being Princeton because I, I just love, love, love Princeton. But I also don't want to, like, propagate the narrative that, like, there's only, like, one place for you. And, like, if you don't find that one place, like, you know, because I don't, I don't think that that's... I don't think so either. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I love the people here. I learn so much every day from everyone around me. Um, you know, I love it. I also think something else that's very important to me, too, is you should never be the smartest person in a room. You should never be the coolest person in the room. And here at Princeton, I am never either of those things. And <laughs> I love that because, it, you know, it gives me gives me opportunities to you know it's also humbling it's humbling it's humbling my roommate hates that saying i don't know why i'll have to he he gave me some rationale behind it but he just really hates like saying like wow like that humbles me like he hates that okay i don't know but anyway i can kind of see why why when you say i feel like a lot of times that phrase in general is used not in a sincere sense when you say oh this is so humbling low-key you're saying it to exert some sort of power 
Like yeah. you're when you say, oh, that's so humbling. You're basically saying, oh, I was up there and now I'm going down there. But you know that implies that implies that you were up there to begin with. It's very philosophical, actually. I never Oof, really thought deep. about this. Wow. Philosophical. Another P. <laughs> Too many. Yeah, okay. I agree. I agree. <laughs> But I'll still say it. It's it's pretty humbling. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. Let's go on to pursuit. Okay. So you have a lot to say about this, I think. What do you want to do with your life? Not what do you want to do for life as in you need to know what you want to do, but just talk about your future in any sort of way you want. I have so many pipe dreams. I have so many pipe dreams. One that's probably really kind of a quirky one is I really want to, want to, I really want to run a marathon one day. I ran cross country in high school. I really sucked at it. Really sucked at it. And I don't know, but I think that the reason I sucked at it, like, was because I labeled myself and I said, like, you know, growing up, I was always like the like quote unquote smart kid. And like, I was like into like reading and like into like, like <laughs> nerdy <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and like everybody around me that was doing cross country, they were really athletic. And I just thought that, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And I would never be you know as fast as them um and even though i thought i was doing my best i probably wasn't and i labeled myself and so this is like running a marathon one day to me is kind of like reclaiming a narrative and you know and not taking myself out of that box um and i don't know i don't think it's actually running the marathon i think it's just what it means that's powerful another p word (laughs) (laughs) no but it is i i also did cross country and then i just my freshman year yeah and then my doctor was like you have a heart leak. <laughs> <laughs> you need to stop. And you were like, all right. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's not that serious. I yeah. think that's cool though. Yeah. I don't think I could run a marathon. I would pass out in the middle of it, but admirable. Yeah. Especially One if it's day. symbolic. Yeah. Look out. One day. And then also, I mean, there's just lots of other like stuff too, like, you know, besides that. Um, you know, I thought I wanted to be a doctor when I came to Princeton. I don't want to be a doctor anymore. <laughs> um, I actually wanted, I actually wanted to be a doctor my whole life, from the time I was little till October. Okay. I wanted to be a doctor. Thanks. I've always wanted to be a doctor. Um, it's not for me, and I'm still figuring out what is for me, which is fine. But one other, like, really, like, I guess, like, quirky pipe dream that I have is I kind of low key want to be a museum curator. And, Explain, please. Yeah. So I went over fall break. I spent half the first half of fall break in Atlanta. Uh, my roommate, Andrew, lives in Atlanta with my other good friend, Mary Elizabeth, their cousins. Um, they both go to school here at Princeton. And Mary Elizabeth brought us to the National uh, Civil Rights Museum in Atlanta. And we got a tour, a personal tour from the curator who curated the museum. And she's a the woman, she's a trained historian, but she uh, she went to a an inferior institution in New Haven um, that will not be named. And she curated most of the museum. Okay, you should have chuckled at it. I thought that was kind of funny. But maybe <laughs> no, not. Okay, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. It's okay. Just, but it's a given, right? Okay, it's a yeah, given. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. fair, fair, fair. So anyway, like, so basically, like, the way that she described her job to me was she takes, like, specific moments in history and she kind of, like, works backwards. So she kind of decides, like, what does she want people to get out of that exhibit? What does she want people to take with them? Not exactly like the history like itself, but beyond that, like what does she want people to like learn and like become like a part of them as they leave? And she 
combines that with like multimedia stuff and like she works a lot with like carpenters and like light designers and like it's very like multi-dimensional and like one of the exhibits she set up literally changed my life explain yeah so there was this exhibit it was um with like the lunch counter sit-ins that happened a lot during the civil rights movement it was a setup like lunch counter exactly like how it would look in like a diner and then you sat on it and you put on um these these headphones and you put your hands in front of you on the table and close your eyes and the whole point of it is to know what it felt like to actually be at a sit-in like be like a protester and while you put the headphones on you heard a bunch of like slurs being thrown at you and just like hateful like language and like they also like kicked you kicked you quote unquote and like the chair moves they like you could feel it and you had to like sit there for like 90 seconds and like it was really immersive for what it actually would have beyond like just like learning that oh they sat in at the counters like she took that moment and worked backwards and designed an exhibit that was like four-dimensional that stayed with the museum goer that stays with i think about it almost every day I want to do something like that. I think. I love, I did, so I did theater in high school. I'm pretty creative and artsy and bleh. But I just think, I don't know, like her job just kind of rocks. Like she gets to work with like some of the world's like best people in their field in terms of like history, but also in terms of like art. Because the whole museum is, it's, it's a feast of the senses. And uh, I don't know. And it really, her her goal is to create a museum experience that, extends far beyond when you leave the museum and it it was evident and that was really cool and like I don't know how to get into that field I don't know you know I don't really think there really is like a trajectory but like it was like super dope and I could totally see myself doing that and like she also she wanted it to like stay with you like in terms of policy too so she wanted your experience with the museum to stay with you and inform the way like you see policy and like activism So, like, your museum visit is not just, like, the two hours you're there, but, like, is kind of, like, a lifetime in the making after that. And that is really powerful to me. And I don't know. I think that I just thought that she has no clue that how much that (laughs) impacted me. But, like, it was really cool. And I don't know. Maybe I doubt that I actually will be a museum curator. But it was just really cool to see, like, an untraditional, like, job. Like, not, like, doctor, engineer, lawyer. Just, like, like, she forged her own path. And I think that that's really cool. I think museums in general are underappreciated. I think the idea of art in general, the way that this curator that you're talking about redefines art and meshes it into other aspects of our community, like policy and activism, that is super cool. And yeah. I've, actually, I've never heard of such a thing. You know, when you go to the Met, you stay there, you look at some Van Gogh, and then you leave. And you're not really, at least I've never left a museum and felt like I'm not necessarily a changed person, but I don't feel like I'm taking away like a new part of me. Yeah, you're just like, oh, that was nice. That was great. Right. Yeah, that was great art. And then I leave. Right. But from what you have said, this is a redefinition of art that makes sure people understand something new. Yeah. Yeah. That and that is and that's one thing I love about art. That's what art does. But. You know, when like that's what theater does. I think that when you go to the theater, like that's 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 what happens to me. And I I don't know. I think that that mixes a lot of things that I that I'm really excited about, and I think that that's really cool. But also like beyond that, like my final pipe dream is like I low key really want to be like the first gentleman of the United States, <laughs> in the lowest of keys. I mean, obviously like I want to work in policy, blah blah blah. Like everybody here kind of wants to do that, and like, <laughs> but like I, it's like a really strange aspiration. Like I think it would just be really cool to like represent like my country i guess and like i don't know i just think it'd be i just think it'd be really cool i didn't like find a cause that like i care about and like 
but like i would be like a like a first gentleman like in the vein of like michelle obama okay like somebody who's like super like involved and like super like people just you know makes makes a real difference like i wouldn't want to be like a trophy husband or anything you know i would really want to do some real tangible work so i don't know that's something else really strange i chose i mean i have a bunch of other ones too but i just chose some strange ones to share being the first gentleman of the united states it's literally finding the future president and that's hard yeah <laughs> auditions everybody networking yeah so i'm actually i'm um i'd like to take this time to announce that i'm holding auditions for the next president of the united states my future wife um um auditions will be in frist um tonight tomorrow and uh sunday at seven so be okay. there yep let's talk about puzzle the seventh p what is something you never understood snapchat never understood it I use it. Disclaimer, I use it every day. I use it all Do the time. You? Well, I try to. I try to. I just get busy and I I have like I used to have like literally like 30 or 40 streaks, but now like I like just have probably like 30 or 40 snaps that like I haven't opened. But like I look at stories and stuff every day and like I I don't know. I'm I try to use Snapchat, but like I just don't get it. Like I just think about it. You're literally just sending pictures back and forward and like 9 times out of 10 it's just like your face, like with a blank expression or like your forehead. <laughs> right. Like it's it is literally a ridiculous concept. It It's so ridiculous. I have thought about this so much. It's I love that you brought this up because I feel like I don't have many people on my side because everyone just sort of goes with the flow. So I, I broke all my streaks after high school. I okay. didn't even have that many. But I, there was one point where I was just sitting there with my phone and I was like, I am literally sending a picture of myself with no information, right? There's no what value is received on either end. The only thing I can think of is the little piece of dopamine that you receive. Maybe it's like an attention factor or I guess. this like continuation of a relationship. Is that a real relationship? I don't think so. Yeah, I think that's honestly ridiculous. And I never get it, but I think it's actually really strange like <laughs> how like they were able to like capitalize on that and like, now it's become like such a huge platform like for like getting news and like communicating and like whatever like I do it like my mom I can't even remember the exact like way she says the phrase but basically it's something like the way you lead a cow to the slaughterhouse is like you get like a bunch of cows to the slaughterhouse is like you get one there and the others will follow so it's kind of one of those things where, like, I don't like Snapchat, but, like, I just do it because, like, everyone else does. You follow Whatever. the cows to the slaughterhouse. I follow the cows to the slaughterhouse. But I think we all follow the cows to the slaughterhouse. So I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. But I never I never have got that. I never will get that. I just won't. But I use it every day. So I don't know. I, I was listening to this podcast and the Bill Simmons podcast, of course, and his daughter was on there and they were talking about, like, the new social media what is the new thing that everyone before the ninth grade is on tiktok right is that what is that did they say that well she was talking about tiktok but she was literally like snapchat replaces text messages and i was like hold on what and she was saying how everyone in her grade it texting's not even a thing like you snap people that's insane it's like how did they do that how did they understand. do that it's and, like a right. billion dollar company like how do they do that brainwashing that's insane crazy but I, I i won't get that whatever all right do you have any perrier to spell for us this one's normally like a crowd pleaser i uh i uh it, 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 i actually tell <laughs> it, like this story a lot so in the 11th grade i got a car everybody in baton rouge has to get cars you can't walk anywhere i'm sure our carbon emissions are the worst but that's besides the point 
So I got a car in the seventh, in the, not the seventh grade, the eleventh grade. It's Jeep Cherokee. His name's Barry. Named him after Barack Obama. I love Barry, but crazy stuff always happens to my car. But it's never when I'm in it. Never, not a single time. It all started right after I got my car junior year, like literally two months after I got my car. Um, me and some friends like left a football game early because we just were bored and went to Target. And my good friend at the time was we all went into Target, but he and my other friend went back out to the car while we were inside and moved my car for whatever reason. And I didn't didn't ask him to move my car, but in the process of moving my car, hit a pole in the middle of the Target parking lot, causing eight thousand dollars in damage to my brand new car. It was insane. Did that friend pay for it? Yes. Good. That friend paid for it. I mean, they felt awful, understandably, terrible. But yeah, that kind of started the bad luck with my car. And then after that, so it got fixed. But then like after that, it got keyed at a football game by the by the opposing team one time. This other times my tires got slashed. At, well, there was a tire slasher at, my, at the Whole Foods, at the, at the local Whole Foods. No. So a bunch of tires got slashed in the row like that my car was in. It wasn't just my car. It was like a bunch of tires. Slashed all the tires. Had to get that fixed. I've had flat tires galore. I've probably had three or four flat tires. Never when I'm in the car. Like I'll go in somewhere. I'll come out. Tires flat. One time. This is, and this is, this is a crazy story. Okay. The day I got into Princeton... I was really sick. I had the flu. I had the flu the day I got into Princeton. I applied early, and I had the flu when the decisions came out. And I went to visit my mom at her office, just because even though I was sick, I was just really stressed, and I wanted to be with my mom. I go back out to my car, and I see a bunch of fire trucks everywhere, and I'm like, "What?" The car, literally, the car next to mine, caught on fire. <laughs> caught on fire i'll have to show you the pictures the car next to mine caught on fire because it was this poor woman she just it was brand a brand new lexus she had it for a week and a coat hanger like a like a like a clothes hanger got caught underneath her car in whatever way like i guess just driving was on the road and as she was driving and it dragged along like the pavement like it caught on fire the car caught on fire and because my car was so close like some stuff under the hood melted (laughs) and like i had to like get it and to get that fixed, another time my car got stolen from my driveway. It was a, a fraternity hazing thing. They stole a car out what? of my driveway. Yeah, I mean, I got it back a few hours later, but they literally stole a car out of my driveway, my car. And then the craziest story that happened to me in my car was... There's one more. There's, there's one more. It's okay. insane. Okay. This is, in, this is literally insane. I was leaving Whole Foods. I live in Whole Foods, not actually, but like I just love Whole Foods, so I'm always there. I was leaving Whole Foods and I was making a left turn. I had the right of way. And this car decided to like run the light and almost hit me. They didn't hit me, but they almost hit me. And I would turn into a parking lot and they turned into the parking lot with me and I was kind of sus about it. And I was like, oh, this is really strange. But I didn't think too much of it. I'm kind of paranoid and I didn't think too much of it. So I like I drove a little bit more. They followed me again. And I was like, uh, this is really weird. I don't really know what's going on. So then I cut through. There's this like tennis club that like sits behind like these shops near the Whole Foods. And I cut through it to see as a final test to see if they like would follow me. And they did. And it was just the two of us in the parking lot. And then I realized they kept trying to hit my car. They were trying to corner me and hit my car while I was in it. bumper cars. This, yeah, we were literally <laughs> playing bumper cars at like 10 o'clock at night. This was like 10 o'clock at night, mind you. And... 
I was really scared. And so I called my mom and of course she didn't answer because why would she? So then I called the police because I didn't really know what else to do. And I was like, I'm being followed. And they were like, what? I was like, I'm being followed. And finally, the person, it was a woman. We, I was driving away at this point. She comes up in the lane next to me, lets down her window. I'm on the phone with the police. She goes, you almost hit me. I said, no, I didn't. She said, you almost hit me. Pull over and apologize. And the police oh. were like, please do not pull over. Do not pull over. We're like, we're, we're, we're working on it. Do not pull over. And so I kept driving. And this went on for miles. And long story short, I ran 12 red lights, drove on the curb. She still followed me. And it got to the point where I'd run so many red lights that like somebody else had called the police on me from running red lights. And they were like, sir. Well, they didn't say sir. They thought I was a ma'am. I, my voice got really high pitched because I was so stressed. <laughs> and they were like, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. You need to, I actually have the audio. I have to show it to you. I have the audio of the 911 call. It's insane. They're like, ma'am, ma'am, we, we need you to calm down. We need you to calm down. Stop running red lights. And finally, I was like, okay, fine. I'll stop running red lights. And I got to a red light. I stopped. And they pulled up behind me, got out of their car to come up to my window. And I ran the red light again, even though they told me not to. And I got away. And it was fine. But that was probably, like, the climax. Like, I think, like, I lo I think because I have Life 360, like, my mom liked to see where I drive. It was seven miles. She, she followed me seven miles. And the police couldn't get to me because they kept going in and out of their district, in the sheriffs, out of the sheriffs. And, like, they couldn't, like, figure out who to send because I was trying to get away from this woman. I just kept going in and out of the district. So, yeah, that's the team. That's the period. I've got terrible, terrible car trouble and that's the closest thing that's ever happened with me in it but other than that i've never been in the car when the bad stuff has happened never been in it so yeah i almost don't believe you like that's how ridiculous i have is. No, i have I, pictures I believe you. i'm saying that's how crazy yeah i have the audio from the 911 call i got it and it's insane like you will cry laughing i will show it to you <laughs> you will cry laughing it's insane okay yeah best period yet yeah it's it's a crowd pleaser i i people people love Hearing about my terrible, terrible car trouble. So, yeah. The last P before we jump into the extras. I actually added on as a mandatory P for everyone, and this is philanthropy. So the word's not necessarily like the best fit for what I, you know, was getting at, but... But like it's close enough. It's right, a P, right? Like it's, okay. right, it's a P letter. It's shouting out a charity or cause you want people to know about or donate to. Okay. So, like I said, Louisiana has lots of natural disasters. In 2016, um, the one that probably hits the closest to home for me was we had the, an, uh, we call it the Great Flood. It was an 1,000-year flood, one that only happens like every like 1,000 years. About 50% of my parish, which is county, and we call our county's parishes, went underwater. I was lucky. My, we were not, my house was not affected. We had water that went up to our mailbox, but it did not, did wow. not, yeah. But about 50% of the houses in my area went underwater. And a lot of people lost everything. Um, it was unprecedented. It didn't really get a lot of news coverage, like, on the national level. Um, but there, were, there was this really cool group of people. It was the Cajun Army and the Cajun Navy. Basically, it's a bunch of people that, like, use their boats. Because, I mean, like, we live in Louisiana. Everybody has a boat. And, like, went and, like, rescued people from their houses. Because, like, they were trapped and, like, couldn't leave. Like, my whole school went underwater. It's insane. Uh, like, people my my school's in a neighborhood and like my friends like rode kayaks through the like through my school which that was is a insane. new form of transportation yeah it was like that's you don't understand like this was like it was like noah's ark type stuff like it was 
it was so scary and like it was happening and you never knew like if like we kept seeing the water creep up and like we thought our house was next but thank god like that didn't happen but yeah anyway so all these louisianians like went and rescued people in their boats got them supplies helped them you know helped them on the road to recovery got them like necessities like clothes and food and dog food but like you know like just stuff you wouldn't think about you know um and the cajun army was actually founded um by somebody who went to my high school and his daughter he he graduated from my high school and his daughter's a year older than me um and you know it's just an exa- another example of the resilience of where i come from and the community and i that's an organization that i really really you know i admire the work that they do is incredible the reach is far beyond louisiana now they've gone um in with disasters all over the southeast um region of the united states and have helped people and uh, they have over 19,000 volunteers. Um, it's a really, really phenomenal organization. Yeah, that I really care a lot about. So if anyone wants to go support them, go to thecajunarmy.com. So that's the K-A-J-U-N army.com. Yeah, it's awesome. It's it's an incredible organization. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah. So the one, the P that I wasn't, I didn't tell you about. This is on the spots, on the spot sort of thing. Okay. The one I chose was paparazzi. So this P is if you could follow around a celebrity for a day, who would it be? For a day. For an entire day. Yeah. Paparazzi. Who could I follow around? They wouldn't know that you're following them. They wouldn't know. Yeah. You just have eyes on them. I just have eyes on them. Who do I have like lots of questions about? Like (laughs) probably Kanye West. (laughs) <laughs> it's probably who I would say. Such a good answer. I'm a big Kanye fan. 100%. Did you know that about me? I'm a I'm a huge Kanye West fan. Music or person? Both. And here's what the person and that and it's unpopular. But I like he's crazy. He's an anti-hero. Yeah, but I I think that he's brilliant. I literally think that Kanye West is brilliant. He's a genius. You've met a fellow Kanye fan. Really? Yes. Yeah, and I mean like I just think like I just, I just love him and even though like he's insane and he says things that I strongly disagree with like on a like moral level like right. I just think he's phenomenal I think he's phenomenal with his music and I think in terms I think his creativity like I think that is what inspires me like I mean I'm not a musician but like I think whatever like I decide to do I'll have to be like creative in some capacity and like I think that Kanye West this might be a hot take Kanye West is the Walt Disney of our generation I really think that oh yes Yes. That is definitely a hot take. That's a hot take. But I think that the reason I want to follow him around is, I mean, I don't know. I can't decide if a lot of how crazy he is is, like, for show and, like, for, like, Right. Know. It's so hard to gauge who he is. Yeah. Which is why you want to follow him. Yeah. I want to, I want to like, low-key do, like, a psych study on him. I just kind of want to know, like, what's his deal. I, I mean, I just want to, I mean, I respect him, like, immensely as an artist and as a thinker, which is kind <laughs> of strange. I mean, I think he says crazy things. I think, right, no, this is the problem, is whenever I'm talking with someone about how I like Kanye's music, and then they're like, but how do you support such a guy who says this and does that and does that? But the level of respect I have for him as a musical genius, and then before a bunch of stuff came out, was so immense, it's so hard for anything that he does now to sort of overshadow that. And yes, I agree with you, he's done things that I am vehemently against. I don't, I can't tell if it's sincere. Like, I can't tell if it's just coming from his craziness and that his craziness has, like, that pro and con. The pro being a musical genius side and the con being absolutely idiotic and insane. 
And here's the thing, too. Maybe this is kind of <laughs> twisted, but like, even if, like, if the stuff he's saying is fake, and like just for show, that makes him even more of a genius. I think. Oh. I think that puts the. I mean, I mean, that just shows how meticulous and how like just how how intentional. I guess is the word. Just how intentional and like strategic he is to keep himself relevant. And like, I think that takes a special type of like a special brand of intelligence, a special flavor of intelligence. And I, I mean whatever like he may not be using it for like good per se but like i think that that just shows how smart he is i think he's brilliant i think that kanye west is brilliant insane but brilliant and i would love to follow him around and see and just to just to see how he lives his life i went to his do you know the sunday services he's been doing yeah so i went to one it was he was almost three hours late for the concert heaven on earth best best experience of my entire life we were i was 25 feet away from kanye west there was no seating. It was just in this like grassy area. It was really strange. I would have fainted. Oh, he bought his kids with him. They were they were at the concert. He like sang with like North on his shoulders. Like the whole like, it 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 was insane. It was, and it was like a, it was a surprise concert. He like announced it like forty eight hours before. It was free. It was literally insane. It was literally insane. And it was it was one of the best things of my whole entire life. I want to go to one so badly. You, it's yeah, it's the best thing ever. Highly recommend. But yeah, paparazzi, Kanye West, love that man. Hot take, but we like him. Oh, I love him. Consensus, yeah. yeah. The piece that you chose, let's start with the first one. Okay. Which was? Princetonian. I actually made one up. Yep. This was not on my list, but it will be now. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I chose my favorite Princeton alumni. And I think for me, it's somebody, a lot of people don't really know about her, but her name's Melody Hobson. I didn't know about her. Yeah, her name's Melody Hobson. She graduated in 1991. She was Woody Woo. She was in the Woodrow Wilson School. She's brilliant. So she is um, this African-American woman. She's the co-CEO and president of Aerial Investments. It's an investment firm in Chicago. And it's one of the largest Black-owned companies in the country. It's insane. But, which I think is cool that she does that. But I think the thing that I think is really cool that she does is beyond that, she does a lot of work with financial literacy. She um, has this opinion that the reason that, you know, African-Americans are, or not the only reason not at all but like a reason that african americans are kind of behind like other groups of people like in terms of like economic wise is because there is a distrust in financial institutions in wall street i mean i don't blame them i mean you know like there's a distrust but she sees the value in building wealth and she sees the value in using like investing as a way to build wealth and also like people around them don't invest like people nobody nobody ever like taught a lot of people like how to invest or like how to like how to manage money and so she does a lot of work in these communities teaching people the value of investing how to invest you don't need a million dollars to invest you know you can invest fifty dollars and just the gap that she's bridging is incredible and the fact that she's using her platform to do that like i think is really cool like she does talks she goes um into into the communities and like I just think that the work that she does is really cool. And also, she just so happens to be... Oh, she's also on the board of Starbucks and, like, a bunch of other companies. And Oh, really? Yeah. Like, she's, like... she's No, she's, like, a, she's like a big deal. She's a big deal. Um, her, co, her co-partner, like, the co-CEO is John Rogers Jr., who also graduated from Princeton, like, I think, like, 10 years before her. And he, if I'm not mistaken, was in charge of Obama's like inauguration committee like they're like they're they are they are important people and she also just so happens to be married to george lucas the creator of star wars which i also think is kind of cool. that's wild but I- <laughs> yeah but she like married him like after like she like 
did her stuff you know and like she like she's just she's just really cool and like i just really hope that like i can be like her one day i don't know it's really cool the second p you chose was podcast explain i love podcasts i love them love them love them i listen to them almost every day i like to listen to um the new york times they have the daily I love it. Have you do you listen to the daily? So I was for a while also a huge podcast person. Okay. So for a while I was between the daily and NPR's up first. Up first, yeah. Right. And I it was a it was a back and forth sort of situation. I did end up being with NPR. No, 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 no. <laughs> Michael Barbaro with the Daily. I actually do a really good Michael Barbaro impression. Okay. Go for it. I'm Michael Barbaro. And this is the Daily. It's Friday, <laughs> February fourteenth. And we start with, and then he goes into a story for the day. It's my, I literally love the daily. And then uh, besides the daily, have you listened to Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard? No, but I've always seen it. Okay. You should listen to it. It's kind of like. I I listen to so many. It's like, it's so good. It's like, so he interviews celebrities or experts. He alternates between like just actual experts or like celebrities. And he talks to them like, kind of like the way we're talking. Like, it's not like superficial stuff. It's like really like, just like interesting, like stuff like uh, he has this episode with Gwyneth Paltrow which oh love that yeah it's really great she talks a lot about like growing up and like her struggles and like I don't know I mean it's just really humanizing and kind of fun if you like if you like celebrities but it's also just makes you think and stuff too like I just I always am thinking about about what I listen to after that and then I also love Serial but I think everybody loves Serial Serial made podcast cool did you have you listened to Serial I remember a time when, like, my school made everyone listen to it. Okay. Or one of the classes in my in my high school made everyone listen to it, and then it became this public thing. Everyone knew about it. Yeah. But I agree. It was definitely one of the first podcasts that made the idea of a podcast cool. Yeah, I call it the gateway podcast, like like a gateway drug, like serial. Like once you listen to serial, like you want to like look look for other stuff. Yeah. Serial is great. You need to listen to it. You don't have to listen to the other ones, but the first season will probably like. I don't. Maybe this is kind of a stretch, but like our kids are going to be, like, learning about it in A-Push. Like, the, the mark that it left <laughs> on, like, American society. AP U.S. history. Yes. Serial, yes. It, it is a cultural, it is a cultural rite of passage that I think that every single person should listen to. Season one of Serial. And then I also really love this podcast called S-Town. You ever heard I've of that? I've never heard of that one. It's another one through NPR. It's the same producers as Serial. It's kind of the same vibe as Serial. Highly, 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 highly recommend it. It's incredible. I feel like half the podcasts out there are owned by NPR. Oh yeah, NPR one hundred percent owns the podcast world. They've got a monopoly. They totally do. They own this one. Um, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I'm NPR, sure. NPR. I hope you're listening. <laughs> NPR. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. Love um. It. Okay. Third P. You chose pop culture. Yeah. And you said to ask you this on the spot because you'll have some hot. Takes. I'll have so some hot I'm, takes. Okay. I'm so curious. Yeah. All right. So pop culture right now. Let me think. What's recently happening in the news is the stuff with the primaries, which I think is pretty cool. I've been, I don't know. Yeah. Amy Klobuchar really like, like came out of nowhere. I think she might have what it takes to be the nomination. Really? I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. My dad would love that. Yeah. My mom would love it too. My mom's a big Amy fan. And like, I've been saying it for like ever. Like my mom, my mom is like, oh, I love Amy. I'm like, Amy's not going anywhere. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I, I, so the way, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the way she kicked off her campaign, she kicked off her campaign in like February in the middle of a blizzard. She was outside in a blizzard, kicked off her campaign, 
And like any person who can like stand out in a blizzard and like do that <laughs> and like not move it inside, like that that person's got that person's got some got some guts. I don't know. Apparently, like she's the certifiable worst and like throws stuff at her interns and like she like I can't remember the story, but like she like ate ate a salad with a comb because like the intern didn't bring a fork. Like apparently she's like really high maintenance. And like it's like on the record, like multiple like occasions, multiple sources that like she's like the worst. And, like, throws binders at her interns. I feel like SNL would do something hilarious with this. Oh, oh, it'd be so funny. Yeah. But, like, at the end of the day, you know what? Like, I would rather somebody that throws binders at their interns than, like... I can't even begin to talk about, like, the terrible things that, like, the current buffoon who's in the White House has done. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, I'm personally, like, right now, like, I'm Team Elizabeth Warren. Like, just, like, okay. she lights a fire in me. I don't necessarily agree with her 100% on, like, policies and stuff. But, like... Elizabeth Warren watching her she lights a fire in me and makes me want to get up and stop what I'm doing and like get to work I don't know what I'd be working on or like what I'm supposed to be doing but like I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something when I hear like Elizabeth Warren talk and she's kind of fallen flat for some reason I don't know why I will say I don't know if you feel this way too but something about the primaries this year is so unprecedented in the sense that first of all Biden was the national frontrunner right Iowa Buttigieg. Buttigieg just comes out of not really out of nowhere but he's just like hi I'm here and Bernie's like hi I'm here then Warren's like hi I'm here yeah everybody's <laughs> then, like yeah and then New Hampshire it's like everyone's still there um I think even Yang like I didn't expect him to stay in the race that was that crazy long, yeah which um I'm proud of obviously because he's an Asian American which is that was super awesome cool. yeah even like Tom Steyer like he <laughs> <laughs> god bless him <laughs> God bless him. He stayed so long. Why is, I mean, Tulsi Gabbard still Oh there? my gosh. I really don't like her. I think she just is there to stir the pot. She just stirs the pot. She's not going to get the nomination. She just like gets people mad at like the other Democrats. Like she's the one that called Kamala Harris Coppola uh-huh. and got people mad. Like nobody was even thinking about that before Tulsi. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then Tulsi was like, she sucks. And America was like, oh yeah, she does suck. Right. <laughs> and then they hated Kamala, even though Tulsi's so plot irrelevant. Like, right, like I don't I thought, get it. I thought Kamala was going to stay longer than a lot of the other candidates. I know. I really, I, I, I liked her. I don't know. I really liked her, but I, I love Elizabeth Warren. I wish she were doing better, but I'm getting on the Amy train. Okay. I'm getting on the Amy train and I could get behind her as our nominee and I could get behind her as somebody. I think she has what it takes to beat Donald Trump. I really do. Do you? Yes. I think that I don't think I think that in, in a debate, I think that she would eat his lunch. Do you remember? Do you remember in the 2016 debates when when uh, Donald Trump like circled Hillary Clinton, like in that one debate where they were like they were like standing and he kind of like circled her and he called her a nasty one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Amy, Amy, Amy Klobuchar would, would never. Not on Amy's watch. Nope. Nope. That wouldn't happen. <laughs> Amy would not let that happen to her. And I'm not saying that Hillary Clinton would let that happen to her, but like I think that Amy would like turn around and look him in the eye and say, Really? I don't think I don't think Amy would Amy wouldn't stand for that. No. Neither would Elizabeth. Neither would Elizabeth Warren, but Elizabeth Warren's not doing well. You see yeah, what I'm saying? She's like, she went a little downhill. I don't know why. I I she just lights up she literally like that's all I can say. She lights a fire in me. Like I just get so excited when I see Elizabeth Warren. I just want to get to work. I just want to like start like doing stuff. I don't know. But Amy Amy Klobuchar might be our nominee, and if she is, she will be Donald Trump. I guarantee and you're, you. And you said it first. I said it first. Y'all heard <laughs> it here first on Peas in a Pod that Amy Klobuchar will be Donald Trump. Okay, let's move on. Or okay. do you have anything else to say I, about pop culture? Uh, I mean, I mean, I have tons to say about pop culture, but I that's a whole other podcast. Okay, so I right. Mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have you on another time. Yeah, Part another two. time. Part two, right. <laughs> uh, the fourth one you chose was, so the question is, 
Panera Pliables or PJ's Pancake House. I think you chose to answer it just in sort of like a you picked out Pliables, right? I love yeah. I went there, so I've been to Fruitables a bunch. We have we actually have a Pliables in Baton Rouge too, but we have Fruitables and like most people go to Fruitables. Plyo's superior. Yeah, I figured I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't. So Pliables literally opened like the week before I moved to school. But like I was just so busy like packing and like saying bye to friends and stuff that like I didn't really have time to like go and check it out. It's really good. So good. It's really good. And I I, I want to go there more. I had a we had a study break there and it was really, 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 really good. So I don't know. That's that's my spot now. I decided. The walk is worth it. <laughs> it is worth it, unlike Forbes. Right. Yes. Number five of your own P, piece of art. Yeah, that's another, that's a, that's a P I gave you too. So what is your favorite piece of art? So I went to Times Square um, a few months ago and they had this really cool art installation called Rumors of War. So, you know, like those Confederate like monuments that are like, that they've been like taking down all over the country. Mm-hmm. So basically it's like one of those, but instead of like being some like old white dude, like on a horse, it's like this, this like African-American guy um it's done by an african-american artist he actually did the official obama the official obama portrait his name's i want i it's i might be butchering the way it's pronounced but i think it's kahende wiley um but he so he did it and it's this african-american guy on a horse with dreadlocks and like he positioned just the just the way even though my mom would say there's nothing dreadful about dreadlocks i just had to catch myself because if she heard this she'd be she'd say douglas there's nothing dreadful about dreadlocks (laughs) So he was this African-American guy with locks and sitting on just like like the Confederate guy would be. And he's wearing Jordans. Okay. It's like a, it's, it's, it's super, super cool. That's powerful. And yeah, so it was it, it had its residency in Times Square for a few months and then they moved it to Charlottesville, Virginia, where those protests were. Right. Oh, that's even more powerful. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. I love it. It's it took my breath away and it looks just like a Confederate monument, but like it's not. And it's really cool. Check it out. Check it's it out. It's called Rumors of War. Rumors of War. It's great. Number six of your own P, Promote. What brand would you want to be sponsored by? So there's this really sick brand called Mad Happy. Um, they make, they, so they make streetwear, um, but they're very mental health positive. Um, and I, something I've struggled with is like anxiety and like, uh, you know, a long time and something I still kind of struggle with. So, you know, I really kind of like, I think being mental health positive is very important and they create products that are intentional that intentionally make an impact around mental health. It's super cool. My friend got it for me for a graduation present. Um, it's like super hype. Like, looks like Supreme wear. Like, it's super hype and like it's kind of yeah, cool. I looked it up. It looks like straight hype beast wear. It's awesome. I, I love it. it. I would love for them to sponsor me. So like, if y'all want to sponsor me, like, drop me a line. <laughs> I'd love it. Yeah. Number seven panel. I love this question. So if you had a TV show, who would be on your panel? Chrissy Teigen, she's one of my favorite people. John Mulaney, another one of my favorite people. Um, Ellen DeGeneres, and then of course, Chris Eisgruber, president of Princeton University. (laughs) I love the variety here. Yeah. I saw Chrissy Teigen, I saw John, I was like, oh, John Legend, but no, John Mulaney. No, 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 John Mulaney. Um, I was actually uh, watching a stand-up by him last night. Which one? It was one of the Comedy Central. Was it New in Town? Oh, okay. One of the Comedy Central. Like, one of those. I don't laugh that much when I watch him, but I do find him funny. Is that you don't weird? La- yeah. I, his humor just doesn't res- so resonate with me that funny. much. I just, I listen to it. I'm like, okay, that's witty, but there's no laughter coming out of my mouth. No, body. no, no. He's so funny. And his <laughs> delivery. Have you ever heard his bit about the horse in the hospital? 
I, yeah. The I horse in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Where like for the people who haven't seen it, it's basically he compares like Donald Trump's presidency to like a horse yeah, in the yeah, hospital. Yeah. I have seen that one. Yeah, it's insane. Check it out. I like busted gut laughing. I can watch it on repeat. It's so funny. So yeah. you have Chrissy Teigen who can talk about. She can just talk smack. Right. And I need somebody to talk smack on my panel. And then Ellen and John are hilarious. Ellen and John are hilarious, but I also think that Ellen is just really palatable, which is like a P that I also gave you. That which is the final P. Yeah, yep. yeah. I palatable. think that I think that Ellen is really palatable, and people just really like her. She's like kind of inoffensive. Before we get to palatable, though, why Ice Gruber? <laughs> I mean, we love you. Yeah, I guess. I actually emailed so me and Chris Eisgruber, he literally has no clue who I am, but like we have <laughs> we have fake beef. Me and Chris Eisgruber have fake beef and here's why. So at the beginning of the year I emailed Chris Eisgruber like partly like as like a joke and I was like, please get lunch with me. Okay. Like I cold emailed him and was like President Eisgruber and I like wrote, I was like, it's so great to have administrators that are accessible. I'd love to like pick your brain and hear about your time here at Princeton. Okay. That man doesn't reply for like weeks. And randomly one day me and my roommate were exploring and we went inside of Nassau Hall, just like out of the blue. And I check my email just while I'm there and I get a reply from Chris Eisgruber weeks later while I'm in Nassau Hall. Oh, mind you, in my email I said, of course, like I know you're super busy. So even if it's in a few weeks or like a month or two, like I will literally pencil you in. Like I will put you in my calendar. Chris Eisgruber replies back, hey, Douglas, thanks for contacting me. Unfortunately, I'm going to be very busy for the next few weeks slash month. But come and visit me when I visit the residential colleges to talk about the pre-read. And I was like, wow. So like me and Chris Eisgruber like low-key half beef. So he would be on your show because you would then be his boss. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, like a, like a, like a power dynamic mm-hmm. shift. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get my lunch with Chris Eisgruber one day. Mark my words. You will. I'm going to get it, and he's going to pay for it. I am so curious to see how that goes. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to Palatable. Yeah. Final P. Okay, so me and my friends like to play this game. It's actually really dumb. Like, when we're supposed to be, like, doing, like, homework or something, like, we will literally sit in my room and think about who are the most, like, palatable celebrities. So, like, the thought exercise is, like, imagine, like, you have to, like, hypothetically, like, have a commercial, and you have to have, like, some celebrities like sponsor your product what celebrity would you choose it's like super inoffensive super um i guess palatable that like a wide demographic could like that could appeal to like a wide demographic so like the classic example for me is like tom hanks america loves tom hanks right right he's so great everybody there's nothing just throw in a forest scump line it's sold yeah there's nothing problematic about tom hanks he's so he's so endearing to like people like of all like you know demographics I I think that, yeah, I mean, I think he's, like, super palatable. I think, like, Ellen, people love Ellen. She's so, like, quirky and, like, fun. And for the most part, she's pretty inoffensive, you know? Like, I just, I think that, I just think I would buy anything. Like, I would turn, if I saw, like, turn on the TV and saw her, like, selling me, like, pistachios. Like, wonderful pistachios. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, wonderful pistachios, huh? Yeah. Or, like, like, Aunt Becky from Full House. But, like, before, like, before all the college admission stuff. Like, Aunt Becky was, like, pretty palatable. She turned from palatable to... Like, incredibly offensive. To imprisoned. <laughs> to imprisoned. <laughs> yeah, no. And, like, we just, we literally, like, me and my friends have a group chat called Palatable, where, like, when we think of somebody who is palatable, like, we will put their name in. What do you think about this? I think the most palatable celebrity is a sports star. Who? I'm saying in general. In general? Do you have one in particular? Mm, not Tom Brady, but... I thoroughly dislike Tom Brady. Right, like, not Tom Brady, Steph Curry. Extremely yeah, okay. palatable. Yeah, people like Steph Curry. 
people think he's kind of full of himself, but like I think for the most part, people right, like Steph I'm Curry. I'm an anti Warriors fan, but I I like him as a person. Yeah, people people yeah, he's like inspiring or even low key like well. I would say Serena Williams, but I really like Serena Williams. But I feel I feel like people have strong opinions about Serena Williams. Mm, she's not quite as palatable. I like her too, but not as palatable. Yeah, no, but I no, I agree. I think maybe a, maybe like like LeBron James, he's pretty pal. Shaq, people love Shaquille oh, O'Neal. People love Shaq. People love Shaq. People love Shaq, and I think that he he could sell any product. He could sell anything. He sells mm. icy hot. He does the icy hot, right? Yeah, yeah. He could do he could do any product, but yeah, Olympic stars like who. Michael Phelps not anymore. He was palatable. Wait, wait. Michael M- Michael no, Phelps had a huge palatable. commercial phase. He was very. I think he's palatable. No, Ryan Lochte is the one that's not palatable. Oh, Do you remember yeah, what happened in no. Brazil? I forgot all about that. Do you remember in 2016 where he like robbed a gas station or something? Oh. You, it's insane. I can't remember the specifics, but you have to look it up. He's like, but I think yeah, like think about it. Like literally, like if you just ever just want to think of something that's like super low stakes, like just a little thought exercise, like try to come up. Imagine you have a commercial for, let's say, Wonderful Pistachios. I don't know why I keep, I'm drawn to that brand. But imagine that. Like, who would you... Just think of whatever combo of celebrities that, like, you could put, like, on that commercial. And, like, imagine you're, like, in a doctor's office waiting room and, like, you see them come up and you're like, oh, yeah. You know, like, you wouldn't, like... Like a Kelly and Michael duo. Like a Kelly and Michael duo. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, a... I don't know, maybe, like, Ryan Seacrest. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of... Oh, he he's palatable. I'd say he's teen targeted palatable yeah but who's like somebody like i don't know like I, the ultimate palatable celebrity I, I think it's ellen i don't know why i think that old people love ellen young people love ellen i don't think my parents would find her palatable but they wouldn't find her offensive yeah i don't know i i hmm. we'll have to think about that we'll have to think and about that to the listener that's a thought exercise for you that's a good one to end on yeah yeah that's great thanks awesome. for having me this was great this was so fun this was also super long we just kept talking, which is really cool. Yeah, but we're just talkers. So, yeah, like, it we're makes both. Sense. That's the thing is like we're, we are the same person. Yeah. So you put us both in front of a mic. We'll we'll just keep talking. Yeah. Like the only reason why I'm stopping is because I have somewhere to be. Yeah. I don't even know what time it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're great. Okay. Well, thanks for having me. Awesome. This was so fun. Yes. Thanks for listening. And we hope that you come back to listen to the next student, which will not be Douglas. It will not be me, unfortunately. But maybe you'll come back. I hope so. All right. Anytime. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. And I also want to congratulate my friend and colleague, Amy Klobuchar, for showing just how wrong the pundits can be when they count a woman out.